It's good to be with you this morning. I feel like I'm kind of a long way away, but maybe that's the way everyone likes it these days. <laughs> you know, seriously, the last time I was scheduled to preach here was August 2nd, and uh, I had started feeling bad on the evening of my birthday, and the next day I knew something was up. That would have been the 31st of July, and so I called in the church and said, just to be safe, I better stay away on August 2nd. And it's a good thing I did. I ended up that Wednesday getting confirmed that I did have COVID, and I uh, had it for about 10 days of fever and achy and headache and slept 18 hours a day. And uh, anyway, so that is, I think today is day 20 with no fever or symptoms, so I, I'd like to think I'm the most COVID-free, clear guy here today, uh, gal, whatever. Um, and so I hope you feel safe around me. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14. While you're turning there, uh, let me just say how beautiful this is. Uh, the last time I preached here, we, we met in the fellowship hall. I remember that. And, um, and you were just, this was just a work in progress. So this is really, really beautiful. And, um, uh, you know, it just... It just helps to do an upgrade from time to time, and this was this is really you did a great job on this. Um, we're praying for Welby and his wife. Um, you know, I knew that was a lot to go through, but um, now I'm kind of getting to see it again up close and personal. My brother, as we speak, is in uh, Overland Park Regional Hospital. He had open heart two days ago. And the nurse came in that night and said, okay, let's write our goals on the marker board. And he said, to live through the night. <laughs> so <laughs> he was really hurting bad. And uh, those chest tubes, he said every time his heart beat or he took a breath, it hurt. So I know Welby's been through the ringer, as Grandma used to say. And uh, we want to continue to pray for him and pray for my brother, Victor. He's on staff down at South Haven Baptist Church in Belton. And he's not looking forward to being away from his folks that long. Well, there's so many things we could talk about this morning. And I'd like to just, you know, have a, a powwow. How are you? What's, what's going on? What do you need? But I came to preach God's word this morning. And I hope in a meaningful fashion. John chapter 14. We know that was that upper room discourse. We know that Jesus has already told the disciples that he's going to be crucified and, uh, and, and this shakes them to their core because they thought as Messiah, who they had believed him to be, that he would never die. And so uh, they're rattled. And in, in essence, when Jesus gives us John chapter 14, which we usually hear at the graveside, what Jesus is actually doing is preaching his own funeral sermon. And in a way, I, I'm glad that this came up because... You know, there's nothing like the reality, If we, we just have to say it and talk about it. There's nothing like coming face to face with the reality of our own death or someone close to us that makes us consider the real meaning of life and what this life is all about. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, we can kind of just, you know, go along and float through life and and, you know, have a few little issues. But when you come face to face with that, a few years ago when I was sitting in that ER and the doctor came in and he said, well, I see what caused your uh, fever and your infection, but by the way, did you know you have a tumor on your pancreas? That will grab you, uh, that will grab your attention wholeheartedly, right? 
And I knew then that, you know, I didn't know how things were going to go. And uh, my brother kind of had that same thing leading up to the surgery. And there's nothing like coming face to face with our own mortality or that of a loved one or a friend that forces us to deal with the issues of life. And I'm so glad that Thomas in this passage uh, admits that he doesn't understand everything Jesus is saying because, because he did. Jesus gives us one of the greatest of the seven I am statements. You know, Jesus made seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. You know, I am the light of the world, you know, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and on and on. And this is one of the greatest of those. And so I want to share that with you this morning. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, John chapter 14, verse 1, I believe they may have uh, put it up on the overhead. I'm not sure about that. But let's look at God's word together. Jesus says to the disciples, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Now, Thomas and the other disciples must have been surprised by the odd answer Jesus gave. They may have been looking for a literal roadmap. You know, where are we supposed to go? Is this some, you know, a place that you're building out in the wilderness? Is this somewhere else that we, we need to go? Is there a is there a religious formula that we need to follow to be sure that we get there? Maybe they were looking for a prescription of that kind. But instead, Jesus gives the answer that he himself is the way to this place called heaven. And in Jesus' answer to Thomas, he, he gives us the greatest statement about meeting the needs of the human heart, our purpose and our destiny. In other words, what happens after we die? And then what is truth? You know, what, what are we to believe in this life to govern our lives and make decisions? And then finally, what are our lives really about? Meaning and purpose. He answers all of those questions with this one great I am statement. And Jesus speaks one of the greatest philosophical and theological statements that have ever been made in the history of humankind. I am the way the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There's so much there. Because we could say, first of all, that Jesus answers the deep yearning of our soul to know the ultimate destiny of our lives. Someone has said the only real frontier unexplored by man is the afterlife. Now, I would say there have been plenty of people that have been there. They just haven't been able to come back and tell us about it much. Right? But we all want to know what happens when we die. Where do we go? And I would just remind you that you are not, um, you know, uh, a body with a soul. You are a living soul that inhabits a frail, fragile body for a few years. 
But that living soul is going to live somewhere eternally, either with the Lord Jesus Christ or apart from him in an existence that the Bible calls hell. And I don't know any other way to say it. But you are a living soul. As much as we put emphasis on our body, what we wear, how we look, the makeup we put on, the clothing, and how, how good we look, how good a shape we're in, what kind of food we eat, as much as, and we should take care of our bodies. We've only been given one. And everything you do for the Lord, everything you do for your family, you've got to use that body to do it. So take care of it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in the eternal scope of things, just remember that you're an eternal soul residing in that body for a few years. And Jesus said that I'm going away and I'm preparing this place. I'm going to send the comforter, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit to guide, direct, to teach, to lead you into the truth. But I'm coming back in person. And I'm going to gather everyone that knows me and loves me. And I've prepared this incredible place called heaven is beyond our ability to even imagine and it is as real as this building that we're setting in and standing in right now don't you doubt it for one moment you see the good news of Jesus words is that our life matters our life is valuable your life is infinitely valuable to God. Your life is not just a, a random series of events which ends in death. God created you for a special purpose and a future that he has planned for you. When it comes to the origin and meaning of life, we have two choices. Either life is random, it's in a random event controlled by chance and nature, or it is a gift of God that, that begins and ends in him. And that's what it is. It is something that has meaning and purpose. God loves you. He knows you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. He's waiting for you to embrace that by faith and to live out that life. And it doesn't end here in this world. It continues on into eternity, whatever that looks like. So I'm glad to know that we're not just a product of time and chance and evolution, aren't you? I'm glad to know that when I die, I'm not just food for worms, but that I'm a living soul that lives on for eternity. This world makes sense if you're living it in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I just think about people who don't believe in the Lord, who perhaps believe in, in evolution or some other, uh, you know, cause and origin of life. And if you don't believe that God's a part of it, it's just, it's just random series of events that ends in death. And life goes on, and like my old uncle used to say, my life's just like putting my finger in a bucket of water and pulling it out. That's about how much meaning my life has. I said, oh, no, no, Uncle Hale, no, it has a lot more meaning than that. And you know, before he died, Uncle Hale confessed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I was so glad about that. I was thinking about Albert Einstein, Time Magazine's Man of the Century. He said the probability of life originating from accident is comparable to the probability of an unabridged dictionary resulting from an explosion in a printing shop. We know that. I was just looking at some facts when, before I came in. And you know, someone might have been justified in having some doubt about the origin of life, origin of life being in the Lord God and Him creating all things and creating us before the invention of the electronic microscope, but not since. 
because now we can look microscopically at what life is, we realize that it's millions of cells and those cells are composed of millions of chromosomes which are strands of DNA. And here's what it says. It says that the average human body has about 37 trillion cells. There are 46 DNA molecules per cell. So 46 DNA molecules times 37 trillion cells is 1,702 trillion DNA molecules. So what that's saying is, is that what, I, what I've come to understand is one strand of DNA is a miracle in itself, that it ever came to exist. It is a very complex thing, just one strand of DNA, and yet 1,702 trillion of those somehow get together randomly to form the person that you are that can walk and love and see and think and speak and reason. I don't think so. I don't think that's an accident. The statistical probability is just too great. I would just say with Lee Strobel, I just don't have enough faith to be an unbeliever. Amen? Consider the earth under our feet as we speak. The earth is spinning on its axis at 1,000 miles an hour. The earth is flying around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And the earth and the sun and our galaxy is hurtling through space. And I don't know the speed of that, but I'm sure it's hard to fathom. And yet here we sit in the calm peace of this beautiful sanctuary, enjoying the word of God and each other's company. It's a miracle, folks. God put it all together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Jesus answers that great question. Does life matter? Is it eternal? And he answers that question. He said, yes, I created it. I created you. Now I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come again, and I'm going to gather you all at some future date, and, and we're going to be together in that place. I'm looking forward to that, aren't you? See, right now, sin and sickness and death reign in humanity because of sin and the fall that we read about in Genesis. But that's not always going to be true. God's going to redeem. He's going to buy it back. He's going to restore this old world to its original pre-fall beauty, splendor, and perfection. And we need to look forward to that. Secondly, Jesus answers our innermost desire to know truth. Right? Now, Isaiah gets it right when he, when he has that vision of the Lord in the temple in Isaiah 6 where he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his glory filling the temple and so forth. And he said, I, I realize that I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. In other words, when it comes down to it, I'm not as truthful as I think I am. And I live a bunch of, among a bunch of people that are a bunch of liars too. And all I have to do is watch the news every night and I realize how much mistruth and, 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 and poor reporting gets done, right? Skewing the facts to fit a particular agenda or narrative. It's hard to know what the truth is anymore, isn't it? I mean, there's just so much information out there. We're on information overload because these things bombard us daily with so many 
competing uh, data and information, we don't know what to believe sometimes. But I'm telling you that, that truth comes in a relationship with Jesus Christ because he said truth is not just raw data. Truth is a person. I am the truth. There is no truth apart from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you're not probably going to stumble onto it if you don't know the Lord first. In Proverbs 2, we see that Jesus is the personification of wisdom. You just look at the description that the writer, that's that, you know, when, when the writer's writing Proverbs 2, it's unbelievable and how uncanny that's a description of the Lord Jesus. That description of wisdom personified. John Phillips is a great commentator, theologian. He says, The world had 5,000 years to discover the bankruptcy of religion and philosophy by the time Jesus came on the scene of human history. We, don't, we need only to read the Sermon on the Mount, the parables, and the discourses of Jesus to discover that the Lord was in a class by himself. He did not merely teach the truth. He was the truth. Just look at the parables. Look at the Sermon on the Mount. Look at his upper room discourse. Look at how he silenced the Pharisees' attacks. And you see that Jesus was the truth. He was in a class by himself. You know, many in the world believe it's arrogant. It's a narrow position to believe that truth is only found through Jesus Christ. That salvation is only found through Jesus Christ. And if it weren't true, it would be presumptuous and arrogant and a narrow-minded position. But if it's true, it's simply a statement of fact. And Jesus is the one himself who delivers this statement that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And it is the truth because he was truth. He could not speak a lie. You know, it's amazing to me how people, when it comes to religion, they, they get kind of upset with you when you start talking about absolute truth or absolute evidence for the gospel. Well, you can't say that Jesus is the only way. That's not fair. That's presumptuous. And when it comes to the area of religion, we just want to say, well, you know, there's, if they're sincere, if they sincerely believe what they believe and they're seeking to get to God, their God, the best way they know how, then they're okay. That's not what Jesus seems to say. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's why it's so vital that you and I are sharing our faith, and you and I are supporting the worldwide mission that's going on as we speak today where people in every nation, tongue, and tribe are hearing the gospel in their own language. And did you realize by some missiologist estimates, somewhere between 70 to 90,000 people a day name Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Just to encourage you a little bit. It may not be happening where you live America may be going post-Christian like Europe. They may be becoming rebellious in their hearts and lawless in their hearts. But around the world, people are hungry for this gospel that we're preaching to you this morning. And they're walking for miles 
and standing out in the sun and under trees in the middle of a desert, you know, to, to, to hear this gospel. I just wanted you to be encouraged by that. Um, but in the area of religion, people just, they're like, you know, as long as they're sincere. But we don't accept that, that kind of truth in any other arena of life, do we? I mean, if, um, if you got on a flight and you were going to Jerusalem, Israel, right? And, um, and your pilot comes on just about an hour before landing and he says, folks, I'd like to inform you that because I've not factored in a crosswind, we're actually going to land at Beirut, Lebanon. So we hope that doesn't inconvenience anyone. Would you, would, would you think everyone on the plane would be okay with that? I don't think anyone would be okay. I, everyone would be like up in arms. No, we bought tickets to Jerusalem. All of our hotel accommodations are in Israel. We can't do this. We don't accept that in any other area. What if the doctor comes in after operating on, you know, a tumor and he goes, well, you know, like I got most of it. I could have got it all, but I, you know, I figured 90% was good enough. I got close. We're not going to accept that. But somehow when we come to the area of truth and religion, truth and in the area of faith, it's, it's all subjective. Well, if you're, if you're sincere, if you feel strongly about it, then it's okay. All roads lead to heaven. You know, all dogs go to heaven. That's kind of the mentality today. But that's not what Jesus says. I just want you to realize that. We, we can't have a different definition of truth for religious truth. Jesus said, I'm the truth, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And finally, Jesus' great I am statement satisfies our deepest longing for purpose and meaning. Jesus says, I am the life. All of us want a quality of life. We want to love and be loved. We want to have meaningful relationships. And when we die, we hope that our life has been worthwhile and made some kind of contribution to the people that we love and to the world we lived in and that we leave some kind of positive legacy that we made a difference in some little way. I don't know about you. I, that's what I hope. And then I come to realize that only in Jesus am I going to have that kind of legacy for myself and in the lives of those people that I love. I found out a couple days ago that I'm going to be a grandfather. My daughter, who lives in Chicago, called us under a big ruse and slipped the, the, the news in there. We're going we're, we're gonna to hopefully be having a baby next March. That gets old grandpa to thinking a lot about my legacy. How am I going to be seen later in life after I'm gone? Does it make you think about that? Was I a person of faith? Was I a person of prayer? Did I have self-control of my emotions? Was I somebody who, who presented the kind of, of temperament and personality that I would want someone, my, my grandchildren, my children to emulate? Did they see me as a person of faith who cared deeply and ultimately about the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom? I hope that's the legacy that I leave. It's the one I want to leave. You know, I'm just thinking about the meaning of life. And 
you know, the, the proof is there if we'll just see it. Uh, I was thinking the other day, and this may be just a little bit off, off uh, point, but, you know, I've done a lot of funerals in my ministry. And uh, I've never been to one where we were sitting there at the graveside and we were, we're, we were happy that this person was gone. I've never been to one where we were like, wow, that was, you know, that couldn't have happened soon enough. You know, I mean, we were always like, we miss this person. And the only thing that even made, made that moment endurable was that they had been suffering in some way, whether emotionally or physically. And we just were glad for them to be released from that suffering. But ultimately, had it not been for that, we would have desired to have that person in our life forever. And sometimes at the graveside, I will, to make people think about eternity and the fact that this life is not all there is, I will ask the question, would you have been satisfied if, if you could have had your grandmother for 200 years? Would you have been satisfied if she could have lived another 100 years? They're like, no, we still would have wanted her in our life. Would you, would you have been satisfied if she'd lived for 500 years? No. We love grandmother. She's a part of our life, or whoever the person was. And I would remind them what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, where he said, eternity is written upon the heart of every person. And I said, right there is the proof that you were created in the image of God for a relationship with him for eternity, because you don't want to let your loved one go. You can't imagine your life without them. If you had your choice, you'd live forever with them in your family. God put that in your heart. Eternity is written upon the heart of every person. We know that there's more than this life. We intuitively, spiritually know that because we are spiritual beings ourselves who intuitively know that God wrote eternity on our heart. And the only thing that brings the meaning to this life that you're looking for, and I'm telling you, it, this world will never completely satisfy. I used to listen to that, uh, that old gospel song that says, this world has nothing for me. This world has nothing for me. It offers a lot of, you know, temporary pleasures, you know, mountain scenery and oceanside and family and grandkids and some of the neat stuff that you can buy. I kind of like my motorcycle, but I know at the end of the day that never ultimately satisfies. I know that like Paul said, that in this life we all, remember what he said, we all, Romans 8, groan, right? We know that this life is not the way it ought to be. We know that this life never ultimately satisfies, but Jesus is promising us that life that does ultimately satisfy where the groaning is gone where the pain and the death and the sickness are gone and the broken relationships, the broken marriages, the, the, the broken friendships are all gone, that people love one another purely and perfectly and want to live eternally with one another. That is what Jesus is describing. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. I'm so looking forward to that, aren't you? 
And I would just ask you as a close here today, do you know that you know that you know that you're going to that place that Jesus created for you called heaven? Are you 100% certain that you have given your life by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, invited him in to be your Savior and Lord, that you will follow him, you will obey him, that you will try to pattern your life after his in every way, that you will live for his glory, that you will live to, to promote him and his kingdom and his gospel so that others may have the same salvation that you have. Do you know that you've done that? If you haven't, it's as simple as asking the Lord to forgive you, to be your Savior and Lord, to come into your heart and to guide you. And any child can do that. I did it when I was 13. Some of you did it when you were much younger. Some of you didn't do it until you were, you were adults. It doesn't matter when. God hears every prayer. And he'll hear the prayer asking for forgiveness, asking for salvation to make him the Lord of your life. Do that this morning if you haven't. And believer, let's think about the legacy that we're building and going to leave someday and what they're going to say about us and what our children and our grandchildren are going to think and say and believe and feel toward us if the Lord doesn't come back first. What kind of a legacy are you building? He's the way, the truth, and the life. Let's find our life in him. Let's pray together as we close. Father, thank you so much for this day and to be among your people. And I thank you for the faithful people of Sterling Acres that have been here. And they have been a witness to this community. They have reached out. And I just ask they continue to do that, to be a lighthouse in this community, drawing people to, to you. I pray that if there's even one person here this morning that has not prayed and received you into their heart as Savior and Lord, that they would do that. And that they would tell someone about it so that they might be baptized and share it publicly with the church and with those who want to help them in their Christian walk. Thank you, Lord, for the day and, and everything you've done. We, we pray for those who are watching by video today. We don't know the needs in their life, but I pray that they'll reach out to the church if they've made a decision this morning, that you would make them aware of, of your love and your goodness toward them. May we celebrate who you are in our lives, and we ask it in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen.